If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I'm here once again with Corey. Hello, everybody. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here again to talk <laughs> about again, marriage. Yes, more marriage talk. marriage talk, like the, the Princess Bride. Hey, before we get into this, this is our second of two episodes mm-hmm. about this. The other day, we recorded one that we called What's Different About Catholic Marriage? And today, we're going to take on some of the myths about the Catholic teaching about marriage. Mm-hmm. But before we do, two quick housekeeping things from my standpoint. And the first is I want to apologize to the listeners for my use of language in the last episode. I listened to the episode and several times I heard myself saying whether people can or can't take the Eucharist. And that's a, so I want to apologize for that. We have taught about the Eucharist a lot on this podcast over the last couple of years. I think anybody who listens to the episodes where we have taught on the Eucharist hopefully gets that I have a high degree of reverence for the Eucharist and nobody takes the Eucharist, we receive the Eucharist. Mm. But one of the things that happens is when I get to talking fast and I get animated, I slip into a couple of speaking patterns. The one is I fall back into my California accent when I get animated and start talking fast. And Corey and I were having a robust discussion before we started the other day. <laughs> so, so I agitated Greg and then got, he made, yeah, uh, made He got me all and agitated yeah. <laughs> and I started falling into my California accident where I sort of drawl and slur words together and everything else like where I grew up in Southern California. And then the other thing is that I think I certainly apologize for it, but there is just a common habit of speech to talk about people taking the Eucharist. None of us take the Eucharist. We receive the Eucharist and we participate in communion. Mm -hmm. But I got to talking fast and falling back into just, I don't know if it's slang, but just kind of the common phrase of taking the Eucharist. And that's certainly not what we do. Corey? Yep. Yeah. We receive the Eucharist. And it's about spiritual disposition that you're receiving a gift from God rather than reaching out and grabbing something from him. Yeah. And I think also when we talk about taking the Eucharist, it plays into the worst elements of believing that we're entitled to the Eucharist. I, I am entitled to the Eucharist and I come and take it because it's mine or it's I'm entitled or whatever. So anyway, it's a term of speech and and an inartful term of speech that I fell into. But I heard myself saying it four or five times (laughs) in that last episode when I listened to it. So receive the Eucharist or participate in communion, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then the second thing is, as I listened to the last episode, there was so much that was imprecise that I, as I listened to it, I kept thinking, yeah, but, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Yep, because it's yeah, such but. a comprehensive, r- r- far-reaching topic. Oh, yeah, but. And yeah. I heard myself saying things where I'm like, well, yeah, but. And I almost wanted to like rebut myself as I was <laughs> listening to it. So I stand by the big picture of what we were trying to do in the episode, which is just to highlight the differences between the Catholic understanding of holy matrimony 
and either Protestant or evangelical or secular understandings of marriage. And I think we were just trying to highlight those differences. Mm -hmm. But in everything we said, because the topic of holy matrimony, the Catholic understanding of marriage and the family is such a complex and rich and deep and nuanced set of teachings at multiple levels, philosophically, biblically, theologically, historically, mm. we were making some big generalizations. Mostly me, not Corey. Oh, I mean, Corey I'm sure does, I was too. No, no, no. Yeah. Corey is much more precise than I am. And so anyway, he doesn't, isn't as prone to fall into generalities. But <laughs> well, all that being you, said, <laughs> to sort of set this up, I'm going to engage in the same thing in this episode. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Sorry, but... <laughs> not. Well, I, we I just... <laughs> just talked about going to confession and not intending to reform uh, right. in the last episode. Well, I think what we're trying to do is, you know, w- this is the 180th episode. And over the last 180 episodes, we have gone on deep dives and taken great pains to be extremely precise and unpacking Catholic teaching on various topics. Mm -hmm. Corey, you've, and I have done that on a number of issues. Yes. But in the last episode, in this episode, the goal is just to sort of hit some big highlights and Mm -hmm. make some generalizations for some of our listeners who are like, I don't want a six-episode exposition on the Catholic teaching on marriage and the family. Maybe that's something we should do sometime. Yeah, and, and we can do episodes on more specific parts yeah. of the, these teachings in the future if if that's desired by people. But yeah, there there is a value to the the 30,000-foot overview yeah. because yeah, there's plenty of nuance, there's plenty of complexity, but at the end of the day, there is just the simple things you need yeah. to know so you can live your life. So with all that being said, let's engage in gross genera- <laughs> generalizations <laughs> and, and imprecise language and awesome. take on for the next few minutes some of what might be the most common myths about Catholic marriage that are out there among non-Catholics, whether they be Protestants, evangelicals, secular people, atheists, whatever, mm-hmm. because the Catholic position on holy matrimony marriage is very complex, very nuanced, and it is because it is so different than the non-Catholic view in some respects, there's a lot of you know, misunderstanding and, mm-hmm. and, and downright myths about it all. Yeah, and then that also arises from the fact that, it, as you say, it's, it's different enough, it's in conflict with um, other popular understandings, and so that's a situation that's ripe for myth and misunderstanding. So let's dive right into the gross generalizations and imprecise language and take some of these on. And yes. the first one is this. This is the myth. This is kind of like Thomas Aquinas with the Summa Theologica. Some I'm gonna, say. I'm going to state the. I'm going to state the error first, and then we're going to respond to it. All right? Yeah, but we won't be nearly as precise as Saint Thomas. Pray for us. Right. <laughs> so, myth number one: Catholicism hates sex and believes it's only for procreation. So, just like Thomas, you would say some say, <laughs> but I say so, Corey. What do you say to the myth that Catholicism hates sex and believes it only exists for procreation? Well, Catholics believe that God created human beings as male and female to have sex, and that can't make it a bad thing because God created it. And like we talked about before, it has two functions, or marriage, which involves sexual intercourse, has two functions, the unity and good good of the spouses, and the procreation of children. So procreation is not the sole purpose of sexuality, but it is one purpose that can't be excised from that relationship. 
Well, it's it's one of the possible consequences right. of it. And it, so and from the the natural level, I mean right. that that's why animals do it. Like right. it, it's 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 a, it's, fu- it's a primary one of the primary functions. Well, it it's one of the natural consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So if one says I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of horrible analogies, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> this is probably a bad idea, but I, it's the first one that popped into my oh, head. Oh boy, an analogy so, about sex. It would be like saying that I'm going to eat the food and then like throw up like a like a, a supermodel or something so that I but I don't get fat. Or, 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 or maybe say that part of eating food, part of the purpose of it is for your body to receive nutrients. But if you then vomit it up before your stomach can do that. So if I take food in, the natural intended part of that process is that my body ingests and processes those nutrients Mm -hmm. in various ways but if i'm going to be like the bulimic supermodel who eats the hamburger and then just goes to the bathroom and vomits it up i've taken the tasting part of it and Mm -hmm. disconnected it from its its consequences or its natural processes or the the fulfillment or the end of those natural processes and and that is a good analogy because of course there is pleasure that is involved in eating food you enjoyed that hamburger and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the hamburger there's nothing wrong with enjoying sexual intercourse that that's part of it but if you separate that from the the in some senses deeper and, and more fundamental purpose of it procreation and and the good of the spouses that is related with that then you're breaking the thing in two and it's also a lot easier to get caught up in it and to lose temperance related to it if you're if you're in food primarily and exclusively for the taste it's much easier to be a glutton and if you're in for sex for primarily for the pleasure divorced from everything else it's much easier to live a a lifestyle of lust yeah i think the gluttony thing is a good example so if you're going to be like a supermodel or like some decadent roman emperor and we're just going to eat all of this stuff and then use peacock feathers to tickle our back of our throats and 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 vomit it up then i've i've just engaged in gluttony disconnected from the natural processes and so as Corey says a husband and a wife are going to engage in the natural healthy and and good practice of sexual relations which has a unitive purpose Mm -hmm. and it brings pleasure just as eating the hamburger brings pleasure but the catholic church teaches that Part of that process is it it opens us up to the possibility of God creating life should he choose to do so through that process. Not every time people have sexual relations, are they going to get pregnant? But that's a possibility. So just as Corey said, we're not cutting the thing off from its natural end, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, one of the things I think that contributes to this myth, though, also is in Catholicism, the value that's also attached to celibacy and virginity. So we have the Blessed Virgin Mary and non-Catholics like to mock that and say, well, that's supposed to be the model. Catholicism hates sex because it values the Virgin Mary. Or you can look at religious, the monks and the nuns or or celibate priests and say, Mm -hmm. somehow Catholicism has overvalued celibacy and virginity and looks down on natural sexual relationships when marriage and that's just not the case because part of the marriage vocation is to engage in the natural marriage vocation right well yeah and and it's also a matter of recognizing that there's a hierarchy of goods that something can be good and valued in and of itself and there could be something better and even more valuable than it the church does teach that celibacy is a higher calling than marriage but that doesn't make marriage a 
bad calling for it to be something for something to be a legitimate sacrifice that you're giving it up for greater intimacy and union with God. It has to be a good thing to begin with. And so giving up sex and marriage to be celibate as a religious or, or as a priest is in and of itself recognizing the great value and dignity of that thing. So it's just in the last couple of years that the Catholic church canonized as saints, the first married couple mm-hmm. to ever be canonized as Together. Saints, the Martine family, who are the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I bring that up is that when you read about the Martines, they were very devout Catholics who, when they first got married, thought that they should not engage in sexual relations and live as brother and sister because they thought that was the higher thing. And the story is they went into their confessor mm-hmm. who said, that's ridiculous. You're a married couple. Right. It's not your vocation. It's not your yeah. vocation. You should engage in the, the vocation of being a married couple. And they went on to have children, one of whom became a saint, and a couple of others are on the path to canonization, yeah. Yeah. and they themselves were canonized. So the Catholic Church has declared that that marital vocation that is producing of children is not only natural, but it even is, is even worthy of sainthood. Well, and, and I would point out, too, that that was the first time that both the, the husband and the wife were canonized together at the same time. There are lots and lots and lots of other married people who are canonized saints. So well, no, it's, but it's I mean that a unique. couple was, right, was right. canonized I'm just as saying ma- marriage is a pathway to sanctity. Yeah, yeah. Is, is well established even before. Correct. Once that. again, I'm yeah. being imprecise <clears throat> and generalized, but, the, but that they were recognized mm-hmm. right. or canonized as a couple. Okay. So we've beaten this one to death, but let's go on to one like unto it. Sure. And maybe we can do dispense with this one more, a little more quickly. So here's this next myth. Catholicism bans birth control because it wants to keep women barefoot and pregnant because it has an anti-woman view. So this was a thing that came up, and I, I hear it mostly along, along a lot of secular people or pro-contraception people outside the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has this vision of, of, of women as wives with 11 kids, wearing black lens, toiling. Unpack all of your stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like some kind of old Italian mother from the whatever hundreds of years ago who is just barefoot and pregnant and producing kids after kid after kid like like rabbits and that that's that's why the catholic church bans birth controls that that's its model for the family so there's the myth well it's a caricature of course because there's there it is a good thing to have a large family like that's not discouraged or anything there's a certain spite or condescension that a lot of people have towards that but i know people who have a very, more kids than i do and that that's a great and admirable thing that the church would approve of that but it's not required nor is it at an absolute norm there's something that we can't again can't go into the full details of called natural family planning which is it is not contraception you don't use technology or, or something to prevent conception it's it's essentially paying attention to the woman's cycle and when she is more or less likely to conceive that can be used with prayerful discernment with, with good reasons so you're not deciding not to have kids because you know you are selfish or for or something but for legitimate health and financial reasons you might a husband and wife might discern that they need to use essentially self-control 
and timing in order to to try not to have a child right now. And and the church recognizes that as a legitimate and, and laudable thing. It doesn't say that you have to have as many children as possible, as fast as possible. The principle that children are a blessing is absolute, but that doesn't mean you have to seek as many as possible as quickly as possible. Well, nor does it mean, or nor is the intention to keep women trapped or that it's anti-woman. Because this is where I think that sort of maybe the feminist left or some people have spun this, Mm -hmm. that the Catholic Church is anti-woman and by having these women be, you know, barefoot and pregnant or whatever all the time keeps them from having fulfilling lives or doing anything else. And that can just be disproved by the number of very successful Catholic women in a variety of fields, whether that's in their home, whether that's in education, whether that's there's Catholic women writers, Catholic women professionals, Catholic women Mm -hmm. business people of all shapes, sizes, and types, Catholic women who run farms and hospitals and who who also have large families. Yeah, and they obviously have discerned with their husbands how many children and and at what time makes sense for them. And that's great. I, I think there's buried in this myth sort of a contempt for motherhood or an idolization of worldly ambition, which there's yeah. nothing wrong with worldly ambition if it's not excessive. There's nothing wrong with seeking a great career or, or something like that. But it's not an absolute good that trumps motherhood and family. The right. Catholic Church simply has a, a high esteem for motherhood and family. Absolutely. Okay, let's take on the next one. Next myth. Catholicism believes people should stay trapped in bad and abusive marriages. Now, this one comes because it doesn't allow divorce. Right. So the notion is, as we talked about in the last episode, the Catholic Church doesn't just not allow it, it doesn't recognize it. The it, reality like, It's it, not yeah. a thing. Uh, just in the same way as we said in the last episode, you can't be unbaptized, you can't be unmarried. So Catholicism doesn't just limit divorce or prohibit divorce, it, it doesn't recognize it as a real thing. Mm-hmm. But some people have spun that as the Catholic Church therefore believes that if someone is trapped in a abusive marriage, one in which there's gross infidelity or horrible things happening, that the Catholic Church just wants people to be trapped in that. That's not what the Catholic no, Church is saying. No. So you want to, now I'll, I'll let you respond yeah. like Thomas Aquinas. Sure. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, there there is a obvious legitimate right of someone to look out for their own physical and psychological safety and, and well-being. If there is abuse or something like that, there is no obligation for the abused party to take it or or just grin and bear it. They they should seek their own safety. If that means physical separation from a spouse, that is something that may well have to happen. The The difference here is that divorce is not possible. And so you may need to separate from your spouse. You may need to take any number of um, practical or, or legal recourse against them if they are actually harming you. But you you would remain sacramentally married. And that is a, a cross. I'm not going to pretend that that wouldn't be a, a terribly difficult cross to, to bear if you are separated from a, a spouse who's abusive and then you can't be remarried because you are already married. But that doesn't mean that you have to just sit and take it or anything. Well, even as a Protestant pastor, I mean, I saw it all because the human condition was the same oh, sure. 
in the Protestant churches I pastored, human condition is universal. And I, I could tell you story after story after story for the next hour of situations where I'll just give it the cartoon version, right? Which is sadly not really a cartoon in many cases where you've got the woman who's got a few kids and she's got the lying, cheating, alcoholic, gambling, abusive husband. So he can make the list of all the things he does that are terrible. And she does everything. She tries to be long suffering. She goes to counseling. She appeals to him to come with her to church or to talk to the pastor or go to the counselor, right? On and on and on and on. But at a certain point, like I've driven wives to women's shelters when I was a pastor because you shouldn't have to stand there and get beaten up. No, no If your kids are getting abused or if he's gambling away the family money so there's no food to feed the children or, or whatever, or he's humiliating you with his, his affairs. Right. And that would be in no way their fault. I mean, that's, no. not, that's on him. No. Yeah. And I have counseled women to for their, their own health and safety and their own emotional well-being and everything else. And in some cases, their own spiritual well-being oh, because sure. being in that situation could drag her down spiritually or cause her to be, be an occasion for sin or whatever. And so there's times when they have to separate. And there's times when that lying, cheating, gambling husband runs off with one of his affairs that he's having and divorces her. And again, as you said in the last episode, maybe she has no culpability in that. That, that no, no pastor worth the title, whether it's a Protestant pastor or a Catholic priest who's pastoring a parish, would ever counsel somebody to take that level of abuse or humiliation or psychological beatdown or spiritual beatdown. I will say this though, and I've I've never told the story on the podcast, but I've I've shared it in speaking engagements and in a book I once did. I'll tell you one of the most holy people I've ever met in my life, though. This was a woman named Irene. She was in a church that I pastored when I first got out of seminary, my first first pastorate. And she was an older woman. And this was not a Catholic church. But she had the lying, cheating, gambling husband, okay? Beat her, drank the money away, gambled it on whatever, right? Cheated with cocktail waitresses, whatever, right? The whole nine yards. And at a certain point in her life, Irene could, it just, she couldn't be there anymore, mm-hmm. okay? For her own physical safety, emotional well-being, financial security, whatever. So she separates from the guy. And she gets her an apartment or something. And this guy is a broken down alcoholic and he's living in this crummy apartment five miles away. All right. And by the time I met her, she was 80 years old. And the thing about Irene, and, and I've talked about it before, that there's different sort of crosses that we bear in life and some of them are heavier and harder. And it also has to do with, I think, our own holiness, our own sanctification, because some people will pick up and carry a harder cross. And I've talked about her as a sort of awful, in the sense of awful, like full of awe, kind of an awful, holy cross to care, bear. Because when I met her and she was already late 70s or close to 80, she would go over to that 
husband. She never divorced him because she said, I made a marriage covenant. It wasn't Catholic, but she said, I won't break the promises that I made. But she would go over to that, that not ex-husband, that husband to who she hadn't lived with in 20-something, 25 years, every week and clean his apartment and take the trash out and stock the groceries in there and balance his checkbook. And I remember asking her, like, Irene, why would you do that for this man? I mean, I'm a kid out of six months out of seminary, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I, I, I made promises at my wedding. And I'm fulfilling them as best I can. And I remember walking away from that going, that woman, when they hand out the crowns in heaven, I just hope to be somewhere within miles of her so that I can even see her because that's a high and holy cross to bear. And the reason I tell the story is, although she's not Catholic, in my mind, she did what she needed to do to separate for her own health and safety and well-being. But she, in a very high and holy way, Mm -hmm. my opinion, bore the cross of recognizing that she still had to honor the commitments she made in her marriage covenant. And I would think that had she been Catholic, it would be a model of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the church is never going to teach a woman being abused or stolen from or humiliated or whatever, beaten down in whatever way that she's going to have to take that. But there is a call to bear the cross of the the sacrament of matrimony they entered into. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's, as you said, a huge variety of different situations and examples, but that's that's one sort of at the, the high end of the spectrum of the sanctity, yeah, that she was exhibiting. Next myth. The Catholic Church won't celebrate or recognize or perform gay marriages because it hates gay people. Do you want me to just jump into that? Yeah, well, okay. yeah, well, you. yeah. I mean, like yeah. this is like Tonsumic Theologica. Okay. I state the myth and you... Got it. Okay, so what we're what the myth is claiming is that it's because of hatred of gay people. And so the Catholic Church doesn't hate anyone and it doesn't hate anyone because of their ideology or because of sins they've committed or, or that kind of thing. It may recognize legitimately that what they're doing is not cool, but the reason for not performing gay weddings isn't because of the hatred of the person. It's because the gay marriage is not a marriage by the Catholic definition, by the natural definition too, but we don't need to go down that rabbit trail. So we talked about last week that fertility, or at least the possibility of fertility, is a constitutive element of marriage, that a man and a woman are married because a man and a woman in the ordinary course of nature are the two people that you need in order to have sexual intercourse that can be fertile. And that doesn't mean that if somebody's struggling with fertility or something that, that they have the potential in a homosexual union, you do not have the potential. Just it's, it's not there because of the types of people these are and and the bodies that they have. And so that's, that's the fundamental reason we can go into more if you want, but that's the fundamental reason that it's not a marriage and therefore the church can't perform a marriage. The church would be pretending. This is an example of where generalities and imprecise language, like we, this deserves its own episode. Oh, I mean, we like, could do multiple. We probably yeah. should have been done it in the last 180 episodes. We probably should have taken on the homosexuality, homosexual marriage thing, because it's obviously such a hot topic. 
in our society in general and the church and everything else. So we're going to have to come back to that because there's a lot of precision that we sure. bring to this conversation. The catechism of the Catholic Church says that it is intrinsically disordered. So two things there, disordered. Now, in the philosophical language of the Catholic Church, ordered means what it's directed to. Right. It's pointed that, towards It's pointed towards something. Yeah. So in the example I gave a couple of episodes when I was ago, when I was talking about marijuana, and I was talking about like an airplane. And what an airplane is ordered to, like the purpose mm-hmm. of an airplane is to carry people up into the sky. So if it can't carry people up into the sky or you, you cut the wings off an airplane and take out the engine and the cockpit, it is no longer ordered to the end to which it is ordered. If I take the airplane and I try to drive it underwater, <laughs> I'm using it in a way that it was not designed to be used, right? Mm-hmm. So when the, the philosophical language here is disordered, what you're saying is you're using the airplane or I'm, I'm taking, I need to pound a nail here and I'm going to use my cell phone to my iPhone here to pound a nail in. Well, mm. that's not the end to which my phone is ordered right. and I'm using it in a way that's probably going to break the phone and not, not, get, the the nail. Nail, not yeah. to get the nail, and, right? So, so intrinsically disordered means that, there's, that, 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 that that's inherent it's intrinsic so that two homosexuals that engage in marriage, number one, that's not a marriage. Mm-hmm. It's a homosexual union, but it's not a marriage and it's certainly not holy matrimony and it can never be ordered to the end of marriage, which actually has two components, right? right. It is the unitive component of a man and a woman right. that is open to life and procreation. And so one of the arguments, again, we're going to have to do a whole episode on this, Mm -hmm. because one of the arguments that has been used in favor of homosexual marriage, especially in Protestant churches, denominations, has been, well, if heterosexual couples can engage in contraception to thwart procreation, what's the difference between two Protestants who get use get tubes tied or get vasectomies or do this or whatever so that that can never then what's the difference between that and to homosexuals but but again that's where all these things are linked and we have to explore them but the key here is that it's not hatred of gay people mm-hmm. the church doesn't recognize gay marriage because a homosexual union can never be by definition a true marriage in the natural law sense nor can it never be holy matrimony yeah and something i think you you were alluding to there is that there's something fundamental to the relationship that is marriage that it is a man and a woman that they're complementary women and men are different i know shocking to say that but it's true and therefore when you bring a man and woman together in a marital relationship they both bring something different to it and that's part of the nature of the relationship now of course the church isn't against relationships between two men they're generally called friendships or partnerships or any number of things those aren't sexual relationships but they have a legitimate role in society and can be very beautiful and sanctifying as well but they're different from marriage they don't involve the sexual component of marriage and they don't involve the complementarity of of men and women that are that is intrinsic to marriage where i want to land this Mm -hmm. on this question and probably just look at the time this episode and we're just going to have to come back and explore yeah explore the homosexuality that sounds wrong we're not going to come back (laughs) and explore homosexuality but you know we're going to explore the topic of uh homosexuality and marriage in some other episode but but where i want to land this one to give it context Mm -hmm. is the more 
common issue with respect to marriage that the church has had to deal with over the last 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. So in recent decades, especially in the West, obviously, this whole issue of homosexual marriage has arisen just really within the last, what, 40 or 50 years. And that's, of course, not to say that there weren't people who were practicing homosexuality before they weren't trying to call it marriage. The clamor for like homosexual civil marriage and now it should be recognized in the church. Yeah, yeah. This is like a very recent thing in the context of the 2000 years of the church. It's like in the last five minutes. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the church, the thing that over 20 centuries, 24 time zones, two hemispheres has been the more common thing. And I think by, it helps us by analogy, understand it is that the church has had to deal with polygamy. Yeah. After divorce, that's the big one. Because in the ancient world, in many cases, in the cultures that it was going into, the missionaries were going into, they dealt with polygamy. And the Catholic church came in, Catholic missionaries came in to evangelize those cultures, those nations, and the established understanding of marriage was polygamous, man Mm -hmm. and multiple wives. And the church had to resist recognizing polygamy. And then over the centuries, even up to some parts of the world right now, parts of Africa and other parts where the indigenous culture, for lack of a better word, is polygamous. When the church tries to evangelize, to bring people into the church, they say, well, can I come in with my three wives? Or if I come in, can I marry a second woman? Because that's just naturally part of our culture. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is I think it's analogous here to understand. It isn't that the church hated polygamous people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like missionaries went out and evangelized the world and said, we really hate people that come from polygamous cultures. So we're going to go out and like enforce monogamous marriage out of hatred for polygamous people. It's that the church went out and the missionaries taught over the centuries, this is what marriage is. And that was contra mm-hmm. to their culture. And the other reason why I think that's a good analogy for this is that we say, yeah, yeah, but why won't the Catholic church get with the current culture and the Catholic church coming from this 2000 year history, you know, all around the globe, every tribe, tongue, language, nation kind of thing says, look, just because over the last 30 years in some Western nations, this has become the popular culture and become accepted. We have a long memory and we didn't accept polygamy Mm -hmm. over the last 2000 years around the world. And we're not going to say, well, just because it's become popular in the West, United States, Europe, or whatever, we have to recognize that any more than we recognized polygamy in the ancient world and the medieval world Mm -hmm. and in Africa and in Asia and other places where that was practiced. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that to dispense with this myth is not to say the church hates gay people because of, for whatever reason, and, and then is quashing this or or the church won't get with the program and adapt to the culture. If we look at the church's history with polygamy, I think it's analogous mm-hmm. why the church held to the understanding of marriage that it has. Right. Yeah. And and as we said, the idea of a homosexual marriage violates one of those intrinsic qualities of marriage that it's that it's open to life, that that it has the potential for fertility. In the same way, polygamy violates the principle of unity in marriage, that it's a union between a man and a woman and that their their sexual relationship unites them. It, it violates it because it diffuses and breaks that. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way partners. that's a good way to put it. They yeah. they both are intrinsically disordered. Mm-hmm but intrinsically disordered to different ends. So the monogamous homosexual marriage is intrinsically disordered because of it's two people of the same sex 
and the procreation open to life thing. Whereas the polygamy thing, the guy may say, well, I have four wives, right? right. And you go, and it's open to life because they're all having kids, <laughs> Very, yeah. but it's also intrinsically disordered because it destroys that unitive principle of a man and a woman entering into marriage. So, so yeah, I mean, I think I often find in conversations that if we take it out of the context of looking at the homosexual marriage thing in isolation, mm-hmm. but we put it in the larger context of looking historically at all of the cultures that the Catholic Church has gone into over the, the millennia and how it has taught and promulgated the sacrament of holy matrimony, what it has run up against, mm-hmm. and to see the current push for gay marriage to be just the latest thing, cultural trend that the church has had to hold the line against mm-hmm. to maintain the intrinsic dignity and order of holy matrimony. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this episode has gone long enough. Those are certainly not all of the myths, but there's some of them. I'm going to give, once again, Corey, you the last word. How did we do in terms of gross generalization and <laughs> imprecise language? And maybe you want to land the plane. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we were as precise as we could be with the limits of the time. Like, we didn't exhaust any of this, of course. And if the, any of the listeners are really curious about one or more of these topics and want an episode where we try to be more exhaustive. I'd say we're, we're open to that. But yeah, I, I think the last word would just be that these myths arise either because the church's teaching is in tension or conflict with the contemporary society, or it's just intention and conflict with sinful human nature in, in, in some way. And that's in all of us. I mean, I'm not better than, than any other person in that regard. And so we all just kind of have to check ourselves and say, is the church wrong about something or am I misrepresenting it or am I just resistant to it because of those sinful tendencies in myself? And now I'm stealing the last word back, but but just to say also, just because there's a myth about Catholic marriage doesn't mean that the myth is true. Yeah. And so one of the things you want to do is seek legitimate understanding. So when you hear people deprecating the Catholic view of marriage, you certainly want to find out what the actual Catholic right. view From of marriage is. From a legitimate is. source. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's us or 10,000 other sources, but just don't mm-hmm. take always those myths at face value. Right. So as Corey said, we are happy to explore any topic that you send in. The way you do that is you either send an email at consideringcatholicism at gmail.com or go to the website, consideringcatholicism.com, and there's a message box there. You can leave a message. Either way, it'll get to us, and we certainly look at those and either answer them off the air or on. And while you're at it, please follow or subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform. And when you go to the website, you'll see all the episodes, precise and imprecise, gross generalizations (laughs) and deep dives, 180 of them all listed there. And you can look at them organized by category and you can search for topics. And also while you're there, consider supporting this ministry. This is a ministry that is trying to evangelize. We're trying to help more people to consider Catholicism. And you can support us there with a one-time or recurring gift. And we thank you for your time. Corey, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. And we'll be back soon. Yes.